Hello, thanks for joining us on the Mole Valley Farmers podcast. Before today's conversation, can I make one request? Wherever you're listening, please hit the subscribe button as we're delighted to have connected with you and subscribing will mean you'll know when the next farming conversation is available, usually every fortnight. So on to the latest podcast from Mole Valley and this is all about taking a balanced approach to establishing multi-species herbal lays as part of the Sustainable Farming Incentive. Our experts discuss key considerations including establishment, how they can be grazed and the pros and cons involved. So if you're considering establishing herbal lays as part of SFI, this is one podcast not to be missed. I'm Seth Comer, your host, and it's coming next. Okay, so let's get this Mole Valley Farmers podcast underway on uh, sustainable farming incentives. Really looking to learn from my perspective on this today. So let's go around our room, see who we've got with us today. Let's start with Chris. Just introduce yourself. Yeah, hi, Chris Lavis. Been with Mole Valley 22 years now. Got a farming background. Um, worked on beef and sheep units around Dartmoor and um, O'Campton area. But like I say, been with Mole Valley now on the feed team, um, specialising in um, beef and sheep nutrition and also doing a bit on the calf side as well. Great to have you as a first-timer here, Chris, with us, but some regular voices from the Mole Valley team that have been here before, Robin and Lisa. Let's go with uh, Dr. Robin first. Yes, morning, Seth. Nice to speak to you again. Yes, they keep asking me back, so I've uh, done a few of these now. Uh, yeah, Robin Hawkey, Senior Nutritionist with um, with Mole Valley, and I specialise more on the dairy front. Um, so it's great to have Chris here sort of with the beef and sheep front, and maybe I can add a few comments to the dairy front as well. You must be doing something right, Robin. They'll tell me one day. <laughs> <laughs> and a lady we just always have on this podcast because she's such a font of information, Lisa, Lisa Hambly. Thanks, Seth. Yes, um, obviously this is a you know big subject, and big topic for agronomy and um, the team at the moment. So lots of change. And, and I suppose the other thing is there's no real experts on multi-species and SFIs. So um, we're all feeling our way through it and trying to um, you know provide what advice we know. Um, and we're continuing to um, yeah try and understand from a nutritional point of view. So it's great to have Robin and Chris here. Who wants to kick us off then? Let's go with uh, these uh, changes that are going to be happening. SFI, yeah. is it? Um, so basically, it's a sustainable farming incentive, which is replacing the uh, BPS payments, which have tra- traditionally been paid out... Um, for uh, land um, uh, in the past. So now these are more um, uh, uh, payments to uh, gain environmental advantage or improved soil health. So there's lots of um, uh, topics that you can tap into. So these are, there's, a, there's a very wide selection um, and they go right across from um, you know, sort of an arable situation to a grassland situation. So it might seem a little bit mind-boggling when you first look at it. Um, But I think what we've done over the last um, 12 months, I suppose, is trying to get an idea out where these schemes might fit into um, our businesses, beef and sheep farms and and dairy farms. It's a good summary. And then from your perspectives, Robin and Chris, how do you see it? Well, I certainly find it, as I think um, Lisa said, I can't remember coming into a podcast not less prepared, but with less background information. 
normally I have a whole load of texts and figures and tables that I can refer to. Um, but certainly at the moment, and things are changing. And, um, and again, Lisa will expand on, but we used to have something called GS4 mixes. And now the type of mixes have changed. So that I think the generic term, term Lisa, would be probably be herbal lays. And the nature of those herbal lays have changed. And I was only at a meeting yesterday, you know, um, you know, we stand, we do standard silage analyses as we've done for years and I've discussed on numerous podcasts, but our understanding of the analyses of these generic herbal lays, whether you call it SAM3 or GS4, whatever, um, is really in this infancy. Um, and I would suggest really a, a, a aim today is just to raise some of the potential opportunities, but challenges as well. Of, of what they might offer because I think um, and you know for instance I've got a few figures we can discuss later on um, but whereas for instance I would normally have in the region of if we talk about silage samples I'll probably be talking a database of somewhere four to five thousand samples at the moment I'm probably talking less than ten yeah. so that's so, so, so that gives somewhat so you know I think both Chris and I will have a reason and understand the indication of what the animal needs nutritionally um, so I think it's to almost to almost raise a few questions for discussion, and if anyone listening, we can just challenge the thought process because there are definite opportunities, but just one or two challenges to um, consider along the way. And for you, Chris, well, the, the payments have changed already, and um, as a colleague of mine uh, and Lisa's and, and Robin's uh, Graham, um, you know, he he came up with a, a mixture last year, uh, and we thought it was all all fine and dandy, and we went to print and everything. And then the goalpost got moved. So um, the number of herbs and number of legumes in these mixes. Um, so, you know, th there's rules to be followed. Um, they have to, you know, plant a certain amount of these herbs and um, and legumes. Um, but once they got them in the ground, you know, there is some, you know, good levels of payment to be made. But I stress that it's got to be done right. Um, it needs to be established right, um, and, and you've got to follow the rules, else you might not get the payment. I mean, some of the things that people have been looking at, and we've already mentioned SAM3, which is uh, multi-species lays, and, you know, as we record this today, you know, that's worth £382 a hectare for a farmer to grow and establish a multi-species lay. Um, there are others, um, for example, you know, you could add um, clovers to an establishing lay, which will be for a, for a, you know, a different value. So my, my um, look on it is that it needs to fit your farm and your, you know, your business goals and aims. So Chris is here with, you know, a lot of experience with beef and sheep farms um, who would potentially um, be uh, fairly reliant on a BPS payment. Um, in which case, I think a lot of these multi-species with, you know, potentially crisp red, red clovers, etc., for growing lambs could be quite a good thing. Yeah, high, high, high red clover lays, good for finishing lambs. Um, got to be very careful with use. Um, you can have issues with phytoestrogens, a compound within red clover. Um, so you've got to be careful around topping. Um, but yeah, high, high, high protein forages um, leads to... You know, better meat production on lambs, you know, uh, grazing. Um, you can finish lambs on it. And also, if you're in a cutting lay, cutting situation, you can improve the overall protein content of your forages um, that you you ensile. So you know, we all know that protein is a cost to the farmer to buy in. So, uh, yeah, legumes have their place, but it's, it's managing them and, and getting it right. 
the other thing, you know, multi-species lays from a um, from a dairy point of view, and I'm imagining Robin's rolling his eyes now already. Um, but um, you know, yeah, if um, if there, if you've got areas that dry out, you know, and um, uh, you're struggling through the summer to have enough grazing, then you know you might not want to go all in um and have everything multi-species on your grazing platform i'm smiling because i can see robin's face um and uh but you know one or two fields which really dry out perhaps on the south facing or you know where you've got the challenges so these can really help with the deep rooting um they'll continue to grow through drier periods um and you'll get more um dry matter yield uh, later on in the season when the perennial ryegrass is naturally um, started to, um, you know, reducing in growth. So, you know, where where it fits your system, it could be beneficial. But, um, you know, um, going all in could potentially prove, prove quite challenging, couldn't it, Robin, if you went like your whole grazing platform or something? Yeah, um, and we have anecdotal evidence, and a lot of this is very anecdotal. I'll come to the limited figures in a moment, possibly. But certainly um, spring 12 months ago, um, we had a, a case where a farmer was feeding and the cows milking extremely well over winter, extremely well. So then the spring arrived and the cows were turned out grazing by day, I believe, and everything continued to go really well. And then, then I had a phone, you know, very, very worried phone call from a farmer. Milk had really fallen off a cliff and he had turned the cows into a field of herbal lay. And um, they just, as was GS4 and the old mixture, as Chris was saying, the old type of mixture. And it had, it was awful, and that was the point. He had gone from entirely a very, very good young sort of ryegrass-based mixture into the herbal lays, and it was a real problem. Then what he did was he opened up a couple of fields so the cows could actually graze both the ryegrass and the herbal lays at the same time, and we very much regained the milk that we had um, were lost, um, and that was just by not entirely feeding the herbal lay. So I think as you know, one of one of the take-home messages, Seth, would be you know, certainly is a part of a ration. Um, and certainly, while we don't quite know how it's going to feed and how it's going to analyse, you know, just a degree of caution in in committing too much towards it, certainly for, you know, higher producing dairy, beef and sheep systems kind of thing. Um, if it's more extensive levels of production, it, it may be fine. Um, but I do think is that maybe not committing to large acreages or certainly a, a balanced ration, including herbal lays in the first instance, not sort of in you know, going entirely over that, if, 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 if that makes sense. I think the other challenge with herbal lays, in, you know, like grass mixtures in general, they're not all the same. So herbal lays are a, a huge range of options that you can put in them. And the thing with the SAM3 is it, you there's more flexibility about the options. There's Yeah, there is the criteria, but you can choose, um, you know, a mixture which is more um, performance-led, um, in which case, you know, some of the challenges that Robin experienced, well, we don't know what that lay was that he, that farmer went in or the growth stage, because that's another thing that we're managing at the moment is each of these different plants has a different way, you know, way of growing. So a perennial ryegrass, we've known it for a very long time. We pretty much know how it grows. We know what the right time to graze it and the right time to take the cows off. With a herbal lay, we've got a whole new sphere of knowledge that we're we're trying to establish, you know, and we're doing a lot of um, work on, as as Robin said, um, analysing the herbal lays. 
we're doing some a lot of work on measuring um, and looking at you know the optimum time for um, grazing and cutting. And um, this is all part of this learning process. You know, there are huge benefits of the soil health and um, potential um, animal benefits. Um, Chris, I don't know if you've heard much about the, you know, potential worming properties of, of herbal lace. Like sunflower and, and, and chicory, uh, and I think even birdfort trefoil, uh, some of the, 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 the herbs and uh, legumes in the mixes have anthelmintic properties so that because of the tanning content, they can actually help reduce you know, worm burdens in, in use. So that means you know, farmers aren't having to use you know sheep wormers. So that's better for them, better for the environment, better costs, savings. Um, yeah, and you know this. Well, there's also the fixing the nitrogen with the legume. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, didn't even mention that. On a good on a good legume lay, you know, 150 kilos a hectare. Once it's established well. Um, you know, so nitrogen inputs can be reduced massively. Yeah, so there's lots of benefits, but there's also some, as, as Robin and Chris said, you know, to um, still some some way to learn. Yeah, lots more to learn about them. Yeah, Lisa, as you say, you know, getting into SAM three there, lots of technical information. Let's roll it back a little bit to the very start of this process, and I guess for farmers, it's a learning process to it. But you're going to need to produce a soil management plan, aren't you, or some form of evidence to show where you are, where you are starting from for these areas that you're going to be putting into SFI. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Seth. I mean, the um, the evidence part of it, Chris alluded to as well. Um, so, um, if it's if it's to do with um, soils, you need to make sure that you've obviously, from an establishment point of view, taken your soil sample. Um, pH is key at you know six and a half to seven for uh, legumes to um, establish well. Um, also, um, understanding um, you know how you're going to manage it. So yes, um, the benefit of the SAM three is uh, as rather than the GS four is that you can put fertilizer on. So um, early on in the year, the the grass um, part of it would definitely benefit from you know um, some nitrogen or muck or slurry whatever you've got there um and then later on that once the herbs and legumes take over you probably don't want to be applying um in those areas because you will reduce the amount of nitrogen that legumes will set so yes yeah, so having a management plan is absolutely essential um and in some parts you know the scheme will ask you to have um a nutrient management plan which you can also claim for so there's a benefit there there's also an opportunity for an integrated pest management plan as well. So again, there's a there's a part of that to be claimed. So the the other benefit, which probably should be mentioned, is that these um, options are uh, what people say is stackable. So you can have more than one um, claim for one field, whereas before it was very um, prescriptive what you could do. So you know, in one area, you might be um, claiming for hedgerow. You could be doing a nutrient management plan on it. You could be um, growing a multi-species lay, um, and um, you know all these are added added together. And then the other the other thing that's um, important is it's not um, to a specific field. So crop rotation is extremely important, particularly when it comes to red clover, for example, because you can have uh, disease issues building up within the system if you don't rotate it. 
So um, you can, if say you put in 50 acres, that 50 acre block could be moved around the farm so that, you know, you to take into account what Robin says, you want some ryegrass areas, which are very productive, um, then you could, you could use that as part of your whole crop rotation plan. So within that crop rotation, you can increase and decrease the amount of area available, can't you? Well, you have to keep the right, the same amount. So if you've got 150 and you put 50 acres in, that 50 would need to move round. So you always have to have, say, 50 in SAM 3, but it doesn't have to be the same field. In previous, so GS4, it had to be the same field, whereas this can move around the farm. And just going back to that evidence bit, so um, I, when I did a talk the other day at our Agri Expo, you know, um, I said uh, that if you take a picture before you drill it, so a picture of the field, and you take a picture or you've got evidence of your purchase, i.e. your SAM3 mixture, it says SAM3 on it and it's got all the right ingredients in, then um, I take a picture once you're establishing it, that's evidence then, and they can upload that onto the um, um, onto the claim form. And actually, um, there was a guy from DEFRA, and I said, oh, did I say the right thing? And he said, yes. He said, what we want to see is that people are providing evidence. They understand that um, different species like different soil types, and so, you know, they're not expecting to see that exact mixture come up exactly the same in every field because that's just not realistic. Um, and um, as you know, Robin says on his challenges for feeding, that mixture also changes throughout the season. You will not go in the field and see the same uh, mixture right the way through this through the season. And some some um, varieties um, actually could not even establish in the first year and, and come through in the second. We again, we just don't we don't know. We haven't got enough experience with some of these um, uh, herbs that we um, can, you know, say this will definitely happen or that will definitely happen. I, th- I think, I think Alicia make a very good point there about the potential variability of, you know, as, as both the seasons and sort of the longevity of the lay or the, or the herbal lay um, progresses over a few years, it, it will change. Whereas with the particular ryegrass and clovers, you know, we pretty much understand what, what what's going on. Um, and I think in terms of the analyses and understanding nutritive value, um, you know that that's got the potential to change as well, and I think that's where we are learning. Um, I mentioned um, and the quality of the herbal lays. I mean, I think there's two aspects to look at. The first is the grazing quality, um, and generally speaking, you know, some of the you know very limited but analysis we had. Um, you know, you're talking very good potentially crude protein levels, sort of between 25 and 30 percent, which is well up with where you'd expect a grass lay to be, if not slightly higher. So, you know, huge potential for protein efficiency which is very important to some of our Arlo producers with you know within the um, within the industry and obviously reducing you know purchase protein costs but it, it does need to be balanced um, because we know too much um, ammonia or urea in an animal whether it be you know any any rune it really is not good news so with those potentially very high crude protein herbal lays great opportunity but we just need to, to manage that quite decent energy we found on the limited samples of graze so somewhere sort of about 11 and a half me on average which is maybe where you expect you know good grazing to be but i think the time of year and as lisa said the, the this constituents of that lay may well affect that so i think if ever there's a time to be you know testing the lays uh, the herbal lays as we go through to understanding and being proactive is quite important 
But perhaps the final point that I just wanted to make, and this is true of whether it's a conserved herbal lay or a grazed herbal lay, um, they're generally high in fibre. And we work on this value NDF, neutral detergent fibre, which is like the available useful fibre for the ruminant. And really both the grazed fibre levels and the sort of the silage and siled fibre levels are really quite high. And I think that makes the stage of cutting even more important because Lisa would understand about devalue and time of cutting and all of this kind of thing, the, the digestibility. Um, so I think the stage of cutting of herbal lays and also the height at which we cut them is really important for like the fibre content because I think if we want room and fill, the hybrid fibre is great, but too much, too high a fibre content. And if it's undigestible fibre, then we may have a challenge. And the challenge with undigestible fibre is the animal believe it or not can't digest it and um and they just can't eat enough so these are all little questions again that you know i think it's a great opportunity with the protein content is brilliant but the fiber content of herbal lays whether grazed or ensiled i think just does need consideration yeah you made a good point reminded me actually robin that you know the growing um you know from a cutting point of view but the growing point on a lot of these herbs and legumes is a, is higher than um, in ryegrass. So, you know, to leave a good residual, um, and Chris will probably explain more, you know, with um, sheep grazing in particular, they can graze out some of these herbs quite quickly. Red clover in particular is a completely different growth habit to white clover. You know, it's a more upright, uh, it's a deeper tap rooting plant. You know, white clover is more surface seeding, stoloniferous. But, you know, red clover, yeah, it's it's got a crown. And if you graze below about six centimeters you can kill it and as you say in cutting i would leave you know seven to eight centimeters on red clover but then you've got to take into consideration because there's so many other herbs and, and uh, other clovers and and other bits and pieces and and then the, the grasses as well so yeah you've got to take that all into consideration else you can soon you know lose some of the content just by yeah, absolutely and i think about that is absolutely key with um, these herbal lays. Don't go in and graze them hard and think they're just going to come back because um, although they, like say, I've got a deep tap root, they'll eventually run out of steam and then you won't have like, even less variety, Robin, which will probably, uh, you know, be a, be a, be another challenge to um, correct. Um, but what I was going to say as well, before I forget to mention about the, talking about availability of seeds, if you don't mind me just mentioning um, obviously, the, everyone's going into Sam 3s. We're getting lots and lots of inquiries. Um, and on the other side of the coin, um, there's lots of SFIs for arable farmers as well. And um, their offering seems to be quite um, um, enticing. And um, so they're looking at lots of clovers, um, uh, potentially on a clover fallow. Um, and having talked to the seed breeders, you know, there's only a certain amount of seeds to go around. Now, they're really trying to um, really trying to keep back some for the livestock farmers who obviously traditionally have used clovers for, you know, for many years. Um, but, um, yeah, the, if you are thinking about going into a scheme, I would, you know, get organised, um, get your seed, um, look, at, look at what suits your business and then get your seed ordered. And it sounds like, you know, I'm just trying for business but i can see where it's going with arable um not having got in their winter crops um and spring if spring's challenging then they're not going to do it they're just going to put it down to fallow so and that could be thousands and thousands of hectares 
I got a challenge there, Robin. See, it's usually you know you always you always pull me back generally on that, but this time you just let me go. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. The amount of winter corn that's not been drilled, certainly in the areas I cover, and an awful lot is going into some form of you know environmental sustainable sort of crop as well. And I think it's interesting, you know, the, the amount of land that will be for sort of you know production of sort of arable crops as we know them traditionally. Um, but um, I just wanted to touch back to the to the um, fibre content of the silages, if I could as well. Um, I think the other thing to consider when making silages from the arable crop, because of this fibre content, um, is the chop length. Um, because when we look at something, this this NDF, this fibre, the chop length is quite important. And we've got the PE NDF, the physically effective NDF. And that is really the chop length. And in, in a very, very sort of basic way, um, to, to help these intakes, but also to help, especially if it's in bales, perhaps if it's a drier herbal lay silage, and perhaps it is slightly stemmier, slightly higher in forage, in, in fibre rather, in fibre, there could well be the opportunity um, to actually chop it slightly shorter, which will make the ensiling better if it's drier, better consolidation and better intakes for the animal. So not only is, I think Chris and Lisa mentioned, not cutting the crop too, too low, but when you do cut the crop, actually depending on the circumstances, but chopping it shorter as well, could also sort of both an AD and siling process and then the intakes and the fermentation, the rumen. So again, given this nature of these uncertainties, it's maybe another question, I'm afraid, to go away and um, you know discuss with your contractor before you start making herbal lay silages. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Robin. Yeah, consolidation could be very challenging with the, with the different mixtures. And, you know, to add on to that, you know, silage additive has got to be, uh, it's got to be actually essential because, you know, with, you know, even with clovers, you know, they'll buffer the clamp and, and make it unstable. But with a lot of different um, varieties of these multi-species, you know, it's going to be challenging enough to make good silage in order to make a good job of this. And yes, they can be valuable. And um, with all the benefits that we've been talking about, if you if you make any silage poorly, then it's not an asset and it's more difficult for Robin and Chris to balance. And, um, you know, if it's really bad, then you're, you're going to be struggling for, for food throughout the winter. So, um, yeah. There is another aspect of that, Lisa, that we've been playing with as, as, a, as a technical team as well is just the potential, again, this sounds like a type of business and it probably is, but but never mind, um, is it, the potential that, you know, these these crops do have a place, not just in the sort of financial benefit of the of, of sort of the SFI. And I think, you know, they do have real benefits in sort of the, the soil and the environment and those things. But in terms of that £380 a hectare coming back, it might be worth doing a few sums or to consider what extra feed you might need to consider for that to balance the ration. And we, we and we and we tentatively done some some background figures, and um, we've just assumed, for instance, that if if a normal silage would be eleven megajoules of energy, and perhaps a herbal lay might be ten point five megajoules of energy, what the extra nutrition is required to make that up, and it's not really a very big proportion of that three hundred eighty pounds a hectare. That if you put a small amount of that back into sort of the in, into the feed to supplement the animal. There's no, actually no reason why it can leave a very good margin still indeed with the extra um, or the SFI payment incentive, but also supporting animal performance, whether that's you know dairy, beef or sheep. Um, so it's also worth con- just just doing that sum with your nutritionist or your consultant or agronomist, whatever, and just understanding, okay, well, yes, we, we might lose a slight amount of 
um, sort of analysis and the silage or, or, or the grazing. Um, but we are getting 380 pounds a hectare for doing this. And, you know, it could be just that sort of, you know, a, a, small, amount, a, a small amount of extra feed will balance that ration and you'll get the best of both worlds. You'll get, you'll get all the benefits of, 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 of the herbal lay, but also animal performance hopefully will, you know, go forward as well. Mm. Yeah, no, it's a really good point, Robin. What's the feeling out there amongst our farmer members, amongst the, the farming community about these changes? Because people, they never really like change. You get used to a system, it changes. You go to something else, you've got to learn it. What's the kind of feeling? I mean, hopefully people are positive, looking for opportunities, as Robin says, that, you know, there's still margins to be made. Um, but what's what's the general feeling that you pick? I think they, well, the people that I asked them to put their hands up who was going to go into an SFI was, I think, about 90%. So they're going to be doing something. Um, I think it's going to be a wide-ranging a wide-ranging um, variety of um, changes, exactly like our farming community. You know, we've got very different businesses um, all over the place. I don't know what you feel, Robin. Yes, I mean, I've never known a period where, quite where um, there's, I think, such a range of responses. I think overwhelmingly more people are considering the SFIs and different aspects of what to do with them. So we're talking herbal lays largely today, but you know whether that be as you said, nutrient management plans or integrated crop management, and you know the whole hedgerows and you know as you said, it's so many different aspects you can you, you can put together. But yeah, many farmers are considering it to some extent or, or another. Um, but I'm afraid there's also um, an element of farmers as well that you know uh, under huge work pressures labor and staffing i still think is is, is is a bigger problem as well probably milk price and tb and all these things that you know that, that do have a big impact um but I, I do get an increasing concern about just the amount of time and complexity is adding to people who are all work, work, working 100 hours a week that was my fear robin about yeah how how is this going to play out and, and 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 i think it's it's um certainly for smaller farmers and i was with talking to one very very good traditional sort of if we say that's chap was 80 cows and some sheep and beef and everything else father and son sat up you know very very good a lot of time for them very professional really but they just didn't see when they had the time to do it and and, and they're actually quite environmentally very environmentally aware and it was just um, so, but I think you know, people at BPS is is reducing, and people will be looking to supplement the BPS. So I think largely, Seth, yes, people are looking to do it. Um, but it is the um, yeah, I suppose something different, isn't it? Yeah, change is always change. Hard, exactly, you know? exactly, Lisa. Um, change. Well, we've you know, I can I can remember you know when I saw multi-species and as an agronomist, I I see anything I saw that wasn't of uh, of uh, what I planted there in the first place had to be had to be killed. So um, I've had to change what what I you know what I think, and I can walk past a dock and be okay with it. One dog, perhaps not not too many more. Um, but you know, I've I've had to change. So from an agronomy point of view, we've really you know we're learning all the time, and we're challenging the systems. So I can understand how difficult it is. Um, but you know, we're 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 learning as well, and but we can help and support where where possible and point people in the right direction. Um, where they can get that extra help and support. Lisa makes a very good point, actually. That you know, between us, I mean, on this call, with you know, um, you know, Lisa knows her job backwards, and Chris and I have got a reasonable idea of nutrition. Um, I, I think it's um, you know, within Mole Valley that the whole sort of soil to to silage, if you like, or that the, the whole um, package is something we can really offer as a business is that integrated approach. So whether it is from the soil testing to the silage testing to to the rations to understanding all of that. 
you know, that is something we are as a business. We're very fortunate to have to, you know, have colleagues, individuals. And if we don't know, there's a fair chance that we can get hold of someone who, who, who you know, who does know kind of thing. And I think that is, a, and, you know, you know, certainly working with Lisa over the last few months on this, you know, we learned an awful lot on other aspects of the business because I think, um, yeah, it, it, it is a multidisciplinary approach. And because it's new, you know, that's where hopefully depth of knowledge will, will and, and background and experience will come into it. We're doing a lot of work as well, you know, on testing and looking at the laboratories and seeing how we can improve our results and understanding where that fits in the diet. And so, you know, all the time we've got developments in place. We're not sitting back going, okay, yes, multi-species, get on with it. We've got a whole program of learning and training and development and challenge in different areas so we can get as good as this as we possibly can. And we've got all the right people in place to do that. So watch this space, I suppose. One of the things we're actually doing as a speak, Lisa, for instance, is, you know, very limited number of herbal lay analyses coming back so far. But we think through this year, for obvious reasons, that's going to skyrocket. You know, so we're all working with the laboratories already to understand and to more accurately interpret them and to understand what it means. So that's sort of, you know, an ongoing piece of work. So hopefully when these herbal lays start being fed, probably later this year, effectively... You know, hopefully we should be, you know, ready to, ready to understand them as, as much as we can. And we've got, I know we've done a podcast with Amiga Crop, Seth, haven't we? And, you know, those guys are looking at measuring multi-species lays in the field. So they're doing lots of cutting and weighing and dry mass testing so they can get, you know, the measuring part of it um, as accurate as possible, uh, possible as well. So we're doing lots of work in the background as well. I guess an important point to mention as well, isn't it, that this is change, it's new, everyone's getting used to it. But it's not going to be like cat, where if you get it wrong, you're hit with a penalty. No, I think as long as you're being seen to do the right thing, and like I said, you know, provide that evidence. Um, make sure, you know, if you if you if you want the want the best chance of a, a good result, you know, test that soil, know what you're putting in. So multi-species is exactly what it says. It's multiple. So they, you know, look at the mixture, make sure it suits your situation. So as Robin's, you know, concerns are about making sure it's performance led, um, or if you're not looking for performance and you're looking for, um, you know, a more longer term, then looking at that um, mixture again to fit into, say, you know, a beef and sheep system. So maybe taken into mind what, or what Chris is saying about red clovers, etc. So look at your system, look at that mixture, take the picture before, take the picture afterwards once you've established it, um, and come and if you're if you're not sure about any of that, come come and ask any of us for some for some help. And from you, Chris, uh, a final word about how you see this uh, playing out? Um well I say I've spoken to several of my customers and they're already signing up to it. Um but it's it's gonna be down to the management of these new lakes. It is like say some people have been doing it for years, um, but with with like say their single farm payment under pressure, um, people are going to take these opportunities. And one or two have, have blatantly said, "Well, the money's there. That you know, it helps me." Um, but they they've just like, as Lisa said, they've got to do the job right. They've got to use the right mixtures, have evidence of that, uh, and make sure they can claim the money that's available, and then manage the crops correctly. And from you, Robin, a last perspective to take away? Yes, I, I think it's in relation to just understanding it and certainly grazing, aware of the opportunities, but potential pitfalls, and certainly with silaging, don't cut it too low. And if you do, if it is a drier, cramp, a, a drier crop, 
um, chop it probably a bit shorter and essentially use a, a quality appropriate additive, as Lisa said. I think that's that's one of the key things. And we always like to give Lisa the last word. Really? Well, I think I've run out of words there. There's so much, Seth. But yeah, I think it's really exciting. Um, there's lots of benefits to be had, you know, soil health um, and, you know, where people have put in multiple species layers. We find a new, like, that sounds like a bit blase, but, you know, energy. You know, they're excited to see what's coming up in the ground. They're excited to see um, how the cows graze it or do graze it. So, you know, although although we're going, going in, you know, and, and learning something new, it can it can be exciting as well. So. The only slight thing, I'll just, from, from a local perspective, Seth, as well, I think another aspect of it is um, just the public perception of farming. And certainly locally, I have picked up um, just through the local environment as well. Some of these crops are going in and... Um, and different crops, sort of um, things like for Kaylee Elisa and things are going in as sort of, um, you know, sort of manures and this kind of thing. Um, it, it is, it is. I think, generally well received by, you know, some of the rural economy, some of the rural, rural communities. So, um, which I don't think is a bad thing either. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found the conversation interesting. and We really value you choosing to listen to our podcast. If you haven't already, then please hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this today. And until next time, I'll speak to you soon.